Good afternoon, Todd. Good afternoon. <laughs> oh, I did we it. love our new sound effects. <laughs> you are so good at singing. I don't know if anybody knows this, but Todd is a singer. <laughs> Hell yeah. So how are you? How are you on this? It's actually for the first time in a long time. It's not raining in L.A. Oh, so, that's nice. I just, it's yeah. so weird to think of that, that it's like, I can't there think of the There was a tornado in downtown LA earlier. Yeah, let's talk about that. So when you mentioned that earlier. And snowing. Like, in snowing <laughs> on the beach, where in downtown LA was this tornado? Did it destroy things? The way I found out about it was through TikTok. And I was like, excuse me. And then I went and looked at the news. It was an actual tornado in downtown Los Angeles. And there was literally a couch flying through the air. Stop. Yeah. So did, it take, did it destroy like any buildings or anything or did it just take a couch? It did, you know, mess, mess up a couple cars and some people got injured, but it wasn't cute. It was like end of the world. I need to go look this up now. Like, cause I, I don't know if the, I'm sure somebody took video, right? I mean, if there's yeah, a TikTok sure. about it, it's gotta be something, you know, my, I'm not going to TikTok to look at it, but I'll look it up on the news. But no, well, other than that, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? I have been up to, I did a ship recently. I'm getting ready to go to Barbados in a week oh, that's to right. join a celebrity ship. So that should be fun. I'm going to try to get a tan, although I tried this time and. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> I'm still Casper. I don't know what's going on, but at least I'm the friendly ghost. Yes, you are friendly <laughs> Casper. <laughs> I'm going to do that. And then I'm coming to Charleston. Yes. Which hopefully I'll be around for the oxygen ball again this yeah, you year. better be. Yeah, I hope that will take place. But what about you? What are you up to? Well, what have you I've been, been up to? getting ready for said oxygen ball. Really on a roll with that. Feeling a lot better than when I was actually competing. So that's a little bit of a interesting twist. And then, you know, we've just been really working hard on recording, getting all these guests and trying to make the best, you know, show possible for all the people. So I'm you know, pumped about that. It has been tiring at times, almost to a level of uh, non-functioning. But, you know, that I think lends itself well to our topic that we are discussing today, which is burnout. Burnout. Yeah, it's a real thing, dude. <laughs> it's real. And I think everybody, anybody with any responsibilities or anything is going to relate to it. And, you know, we have had another opportunity to bring back somebody that we've already had before. But this is why I love this so much is that we get to build these relationships and have these experts come on and talk like specifically about these things that we experience, we know other people are experiencing. So we got to see Joelle again today and she got to tell us all about how we can stop doing this to ourselves, which is exciting. Joelle Miletus. Yes. <laughs> We're so happy to have her back today. I know. She's just, we get into it later, but she just gives such great advice. I think a lot of people are going to come away with this with some solid, you know, practical steps to handling things. So could you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about Joelle who does not know about her? 
Absolutely, Laura. Joelle is a world-renowned international speaker, psychotherapist, trauma expert, and author of a TED-Ed PTSD video with over 3.2 million views and available in 28 different languages. Her passion is mentoring, coaching, and supporting people while overcoming struggles that are keeping them from living a meaningful and balanced life full of fulfillment, joy, and contentment. By helping others see adversities as an opportunity to better themselves, she helps clients change their mindsets, achieve their goals, and create positive outcomes using post-traumatic growth. Her career highlights include being a guest speaker on ABC's 60 Minutes, Beyond the Headlines, Switch YouTube Live Post, DOD's Hire Vets Medallion Award recipient, and several Outstanding Achievement Awards for Top Female Executive. Without further ado, we give you Joelle Miletus. Well, hello, Joelle. How are you today? I'm good, Lauren Todd. Thanks for having me back on the show. We're so happy to have you back. Yeah. Me too. If you haven't heard her, our first podcast with her, just go back. It's a couple of episodes ago, but we had so much to talk to. We, we knew we needed to do another podcast because we could have gone on for hours. I know. Joelle knows so much about so many things, but we kind of felt like it'd be fun to drill into certain, you know, one particular issue so that we can laser focus on it. And I think ultimately it's going to be something that everybody relates to. But before we get into all of that, I did want for you to kind of introduce to those who have not listened or do not want to take the time to go, you should go back and listen to it. But to that, to give a little bit of background on, you know, about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. Thanks for asking. And yes, please do listen. It's an amazing show. But I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and I have a clinical PhD in psychology. I work under my marriage and family therapy license. And what else can I tell you? I have a trauma-focused clinic in California, and we now are in a few other states. So I think that's new since we talked last. And some new exciting products that I'll tell you about at the end that has happened since we talked last. So we really work with all different kinds of trauma. We specialize working with military first responders. We work with a lot of refugees and people who have experienced war that are not necessarily in the military. So we have this interesting niche and we're in the middle of Silicon Valley. So we also have the Google, Apple, LinkedIn, CEO, C-suite folks as well that come to the clinic. So that's the work that I'm doing now. And I don't know. I'm a retired ballerina after 22 years, decided to go into the field of psychology. So <laughs> we could draw the dots on trauma. Well, we're always open to talking with you about anything and everything because you're amazing. But today we wanted to specifically to discuss burnout, which is since it's, it's something Laura and I have <laughs> been experiencing lately. But can you explain to our listeners what burnout is exactly? Yeah, I think, you know, especially now post pandemic, most people that we talk to and that I just even hearing on other podcasts and other experts talk are experiencing this concept of burnout where we're working, you know, more than we ever have before. We're working usually out of our homes or most of us are still working out of our homes and that kind of juggling between work and life. And if those that are raising families and starting relationships, ending relationships, all of this really impacts our happiness, right? And our, our functionality. So for me, I like to think about burnout is when 
our daily life and living and our functioning is starting to diminish, right? And a bunch of different things that happen. Some people report that they feel apathetic or they just, they have that kind of meh, like I always call it the Eeyore syndrome, right? It's sort of that wah, wah, wah kind of response, right? Other people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That one. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! And other people say that, you know, they notice that they're irritable, right? They're not sleeping, their, you know, diet, exercise, habits change significantly, their relationships change significantly, they feel less fulfilled. And so there's a lot of reasons that cause burnout. But for the most part, when we think about it, it's really when our life isn't just working for us the way that we want it to anymore. Yeah, I think it's a really good summation of that, because I think it can manifest in a lot of different ways that we will dive into. But I think a big thing for us to kind of differentiate between is just being stressed and like kind of what's the difference between just being stressed and actually reaching that burnout period? And what would you personally categorize as excessive and prolonged stress that would lead to that? Yeah, it's such a great question and a little bit of a complicated answer, believe it or not. We think, oh, well, a lot of stress, you end up being burned out, right? There's two different kinds of stress. We have good stress and we have bad stress. So when we think about good stress, we think about things that are, for example, buying a house, right? Having a baby, you know, starting a new relationship, starting a new job, all of these things, you know, we kind of judge and we put that in the quote, air quote, good category, right? Because they're exciting times, getting married. And yet there's a huge amount of stress. We know that buying a house, you know, starting a new job, getting married, becoming a parent are some of the most stressful life experiences that we can go through, right? So, and yet they're good times and it provides us joy, fulfillment, happiness. So we have these things that we call use stress or good stress. And then we have all of the stress that we are familiar with, all of the things that we put into this quote, bad category, right? And so prolonged chronic stress can turn into burnout. It can turn into anxiety, right? Which is more than just worry. And it can move also into the body and we have physical illnesses that can come from stress, right? People report, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, you know, adrenal fatigue. So, and I'm not an MD. These are, you know, heart attacks, right? Things like that, that come from prolonged stress. So burnout is more in this area of it's too much stress. Sometimes it's good stress is included in that category, right? So too much stress, mind, body, and soul, right? Our body can't take much more of it. We're in this constant cortisol dump and these stress hormone dumps all the time. Emotionally, we're fatigued, right? We're not getting enough sleep. We're fatigued in relationships, especially if we're dealing with toxic partners, right? Or toxic people at work, whatever that looks like. We're not able to balance the happy moments in life with the stressful moments, right? So we move into the state of burnout and it does affect us mind, body, and soul. We just start to shut down. And so that's a little bit different than having something that is an acute stress stressor, which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So if you think about buying a house, right, you buy it. And it doesn't mean the stress of owning the house goes away. It's that the event has a starting point, a middle point, and an end point. And so with burnout, it doesn't map out. Yeah. Like there's almost like a checklist with like those events and then you're done with the checklist. 
now we move on to the next phase or whatever. And and that I think keeps your mind a little bit more, not in like a same thing, just beating you down. Then you go on to new phase. Yeah. Cause we don't really recover, right? Cause we're all about the hustle, especially in our culture right now. And so we don't buy a house and go, great, now I'm going to take a month of a vacation. Like I am not in that financial situation to do that, right? So we don't give ourselves time to recover even from good stress. And so we kind of weave in and out of these moments of highly stressed. And then we're like, okay, cool, awesome, checked all the boxes. Now I'm on to the next stressful thing. And then now I'm on to the next stressful thing. And sometimes it's we're reacting to the stressors that are coming into our life. And sometimes they're self-imposed, right? When it's good stress, we're putting ourselves in those stressful environments. But we never really give ourselves time to rest, right? And sort of like put a nice bow on that and go, okay, that was really stressful. And now I need a little recoup. Before I jump into the next thing, we just keep going. Just said we don't give ourselves time to recover from good stress. What would be defined as good stress? Yeah, so that's the stress that comes from happy events, right? The stress sometimes that comes from adrenaline rushes. So when we think about somebody who loves to jump out of airplanes or drive their car fast or ride a motorcycle or who's attached to the adrenaline, right? that's a stressor. It produces a significant amount of stress on our mind and our body. And yet we get an endorphin rush from that. It's all, you know, essentially chemically kind of producing the same thing as cortisol going into your system, but it's like your mind processes it differently in a way of being like, okay, well that was temporary as opposed to when does this end? When does the cortisol stop? We usually think of burnout in the context of work, like, oh, I'm so overworked. I, I had back-to-back meetings and it just won't stop. And then people like are like, all right, I need a break. What other ways can we experience burnout? And what are the risk factors for some of these other kinds of burnout? Yeah, I think we can experience burnout, whether it's fatiguing in relationships, right? So burnout really in the sense of we fatigue, right? We get fatigued and we can't manage the situation anymore. So like, oh, I'm burned out at work, right? It gets to a point where I just can't manage all these meetings or all the demands or the pulls on me to do all of these tasks, right? I'm just tired. I'm tired of doing the work and I'm tired of engaging, right, in this way. And I'm not managing the rest of my life because of it. So if we take that same model, right? We can say, okay, well, what about toxic relationships, right? We all have frenemies. We all have people in our sort of acquaintance group that, you know, it's the one toxic person. And after a while, you're like, why do I keep putting myself in this situation? Because all I do is walk away from these situations feeling crappy. And so that can be fatigue, right? It's burnout. I'm getting burned out of the same friend group where every single weekend it is drama right? So that can be a kind of a burnout, right? We can get burned out from chronic pain and chronic illness, right? We get tired of dealing with the same stressors over and over and over, right? Where we're burned out from. Well, let me ask you a question. I'm going a little off script here, but I want to just ask in reference to relationships, do you feel like what is the difference in person saying, I'm tired of dealing with this person that I'm in a relationship with versus I can't anymore? You know what I'm saying? Like, How do we know that we're burned out if we're in a relationship that is toxic? Or maybe it's not toxic. Maybe it's just boring. Or maybe it's just not fulfilling. But how do we know that we're experiencing burnout and we're not just 
you know, that old saying, he's just not that into you. Can you differentiate that for me? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I think it's a great question, right? Because we look at toxic relationships, right? That doesn't always mean that that person is a, is a bad person, right? Or it could be that the relationship is not good for me, right? Or that's not my person. You know, a lot of times when I talk to people that are going through breakups, we have this tendency to villainize who, you know, we're ending a relationship with, right? And sometimes there isn't a villain in the story. Sometimes there is. Sometimes there's a very clear villain, right? And other times there's not. And so being able to contextualize, they may be a great person. They may not be your person, right? It's okay to still love somebody or be in love with somebody and say, I can't be in a relationship with you because the relationship is toxic to me, right? It's stopping me from being the best person I can be every day, right? Not the perfect person, right? But it's stopping my ability to grow. It's stopping my joy, right? It's impeding on other relationships, you know, whether that's friends and family, it's interfering with my work, it's interfering with my financial, but whatever that is. Well, you can still love someone every day and still know that they do not need to be in your life. Absolutely. So burnout with relationships is, I see it a lot of times when people are in relationships with substance users, right? Or substance abusers, where after a while they're so burned out, right? Of like, I'm tired of going to Al-Anon meetings. I'm tired of understanding. I'm tired of being supportive. I'm like, I'm tired. And we take that on as I failed at this relationship, right? Instead of saying like, I'm burned out from emotionally being available and on, right? All the time. And that also kind of reminds me, like when we were prepping for this, I was, you know, looking at all the different kind of the ways that this can manifest. And, and I saw a lot of references to, you know, compassion fatigue that a lot of people that are in like jobs such as, you know, being a caregiver or even being a caregiver at home that can cause this kind of, I'm just tired of always having to put this these other people first. And I'm not ever first. It's sad. You basically at a certain point, like your brain can only handle so much, you know, you can only handle, it's hard to put yourself first. And also when your job or whatever is on the line to continue to do that. So I think like kind of a part of it is if you're feeling that way in a relationship, then maybe that's a sign that it's not great for your mental health. And, but then how do you deal with like the guilt of like leaving that person if they're in a bad place? I'm sure that people that have a substance abuse partners with that, like how do people handle that mentally? Or how do you disease. help them handle Stuff like that? that is a disease. So it's like, am I tired of the disease? Am I tired of that person? Am I tired of the situation? You know, totally. And the guilt and the shame right? So it's guilt, shame, and blame. It's that magic trifecta of guilt, shame, and blame, right? And so it's like, I understand that this person that I love more than anything has this disease and they can't necessarily control it. I certainly can't control it. I didn't cause it, can't control it, right? Can't contain it. And yet it is impacting my life. And so sometimes that's the therapy work, right, with people who have compassion fatigue and have burnout is, what does that mean for you, right? What does that say about you? If you say, I can't do this anymore, right, or I'm not willing to do it anymore, 
you know, how do we work through the guilt? Because guilt is about my behavior, right? Shame is about what I think about myself. So if I can't do it anymore, what does that say about me? Well, I'm a failure then. So that's the shame, you know, and the blame is, oh, I'm a failure because of this thing, right? That finger pointing, right? Well, if, you know, she didn't have this disease, then I would still be in a relationship with her. That's that blaming piece, right? The guilt is about my behavior. I feel guilty because I left, right? So it's so convoluted. And when we get to these places of compassion fatigue, burnout, they are traumatic in a sense too, right? So we now are dealing with trying to hold it all together, right? And feeling like I just can't. So again, what does that say about me? So we get into these negative thinking, what we call negative core beliefs, this part about our personality or or our ego, right? Our ethos. If I do this thing, then I'm that thing, right? If I can't take care of my children because I don't feel well, I'm a bad mom. Well, is that true? No, absolutely not. We all get sick. We all have a hard time. There's no perfect moms out there, right? We put these paradigms in place. And so with burnout is if I'm burned out and I can't go to every meeting, there's the person next to me that can and they're not burned out and they can do it. So what does that say about me, right? If I can't be in a relationship with somebody who's abusing substances, there's a million other people that can. What does that say about me, right? So we're constantly putting ourselves up against others, which makes it worse, right? Because then we don't leave. Then we're more burned out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like we always say on here, it's like, you know, you can't give from an empty cup, but it's hard to find the line of like, I'm just tired. I need a break. And like, this is untenable. Like I cannot, like, this is no longer kind of what I can do. And I think that that kind of leads, we, we've covered a little bit of it, but I think it'd be nice to kind of tell others and ourselves what some major signs and symptoms of burnout are to a point where when do you know it's time that you need to get help? So for me, it's patterns, right? So what's a reasonable amount of time? And that's going to be different for every person, right? Somebody might say, I can do this for two weeks. Somebody might say, I can do this for a year, right? So what's a reasonable amount of time And really honestly looking at yourself in the mirror, what's a reasonable amount of time, right? How long do you think you can maintain the status quo if nothing changes, right? And how are you going to know? So it's asking yourself that question. Well, how am I going to know if this is getting worse? What are going to be the signs? Am I isolating even more? Do I not sleep even more? Am I, you know, losing weight, putting on weight? What does that look like, right? And then trying it on first, because it's too scary to say, this isn't working, I'm going to make this change. And then, okay, cool, you know, click, go. That's too hard. It's too scary. So we try it on. Okay, if I can't do this anymore, what would it look like? What would it feel like if I did something different? And then what is that difference, right? What's that thing going to be? So if I were to leave the relationship, what would I look like? Well, are you financially dependent on the person you're in a relationship with? So what does that mean? How much money are you going to need to survive, right? What kind of work are you going to do? 
if you have children, what's childcare going to look like? So you start trying it on. And it's that pre-contemplation of change or that cycle of change starts to help, right? Ease us into being willing to make changes because we start to feel like we have more control. When we feel like we're totally out of control, we react and we are constantly reactive, right? As opposed to being able to be in control of our emotions and our environment, our experiences, and then make decisions. So I always start clients with, you know, drawing a circle. I'm like, draw a circle on a page, put yourself in the middle of it, put inside the circle, all the things you can control. What can you control? My sleep, my diet, my exercise, what I wear, you know, how I behave, how I show up emotionally, right? Things like that. And then on outside of the circle, what are all the things that you cannot control, right? everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And how do you think, like say the person stays and they don't address the fact that they're burned out. What happens when you don't address it and how can it affect your life? It's again, really unique for each person, right? Typically relationships fall apart. We see all sorts of things happen. Relationships fall apart. People lose themselves. They can be codependent. What else? Infidelity you know, happens when people feel like they're losing themselves and they're burned out. You know, I keep asking for this thing over and over and over. You're not giving it to me, but the person over there will, right? And I don't know how to end or I can't end the one relationship before I start the next one for whatever reason, right? I think we see a lot of different things happen from when people fatigue in situations. You know, same thing with the job, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of the things you mentioned before is like it starts to manifest as anxiety or fibromyalgia or any of that where you are trying to like white knuckle it through because you can't see a way out. And then ultimately it's going to come out some way. Like there's no way to just continue on in that direction. And so I think it's great what you said about like kind of the what are the things you can control and what can't you control? It's almost like also making like a pros and a cons kind of list. And it may even almost be that simple at times, I think, to be like, well, you know, because almost on paper you see it and you're like, okay, I'm literally doing this just because I feel bad about, you know, hurting somebody's feelings or something. But at the end of the day, you know, if this ends in you then ultimately still hurting their feelings because you just keep pushing through or it ends and you ultimately end up becoming ill, then what's the benefit to that? I think that that's a really good way of looking at it. And what's our responsibility too, right? Like what's our responsibility for somebody else's emotional response or for someone else's life? At what point do we say, I can't fix this. It's not my responsibility to do so, right? This person has to help themselves. That's so difficult to say to your partner, like your trauma is your responsibility, your response to whatever is going on in your life or anyone, partner, a a friend, a family member. It's hard to have them look at, to say, you need to look in the mirror and you have to fix this. I've done everything that I can and I have nothing more to give you. That's... But I think people get to that point. Yeah, especially when somebody like I kind of have recognized this now is that a part of my identity has almost been formed around being like a fixer. So, you know, when you have to be like, I can't fix this, that's a very hard 
conclusion to finally come to because that messes with your own identity of like But then you, you probably are. feel shame for not being able to fix it. Exactly. And then we go back to the failure thing. So I guess <laughs> it's insidious. Isn't it, it is. It's like this whole catch 22 constant cycle. So I guess now that we've really nailed down what burnout is, and I think that we've probably got a lot of people nodding along with that feeling, you know, how can one prevent getting to that point, but also treat burnout once it's happened? Yeah. So, I mean, prevention is, you know, kind of this pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, you know, work-life balance was sort of this catch-all phrase to try and prevent burnout. There's a lot of truth to that. And then we all started working and parenting and being teachers and doing all of the things that we have to do under one roof, which was awesome, right? Said no one ever. There's some truth to this idea of work-life balance or relationship-life balance, right? We're not putting everything in one basket. All of my needs cannot be met by one person, one activity, one job, right? I need to be multidimensional. So, you know, I have my friends and I have my partner and that's healthy, right? We can't have our friend time with our partner a hundred percent of the time. Sometimes we need to step away from our romantic relationship and go, I love you, but you are driving me batshit crazy right now and I need a break, right? And that's also hard to say too, but our friends give us something different, right? Our friends are going to have our back no matter what. Our therapist will not. <laughs> our therapist is going to be like, really? How's that working for you? You want to keep doing that behavior, right? So being able to not lose ourselves in one thing, right? So that we're multifaceted, that we get, you know, the quiet time that we need, whether that's reading, whether that's watching your favorite show, whether that's being out in nature, if you're a pet lover, whatever that alone time is, we have the social time that we need. We're not just spending 100% of our time with one person right? Or in one environment, you know, that we turn work off, you know, work ends, even if that's only an hour or two a day for some people, depending on what their careers are, but work ends, there's a hard stop. And there's that break, right? Where I can shut down for a little while and do me, right? Without having to be on for work. The parenting piece is the hardest. And it's one that we don't talk about much because, there's this this stigma about saying, I'm burned out being a parent. I literally was, this was like my next main question. I was like, I wanted to get to the heart of this matter just as a single parent too. It's like, you know, with parental burnout, how do you step away from being a parent? I mean, like not to mention the outside pressure of being the perfect parent and doing all of the crafts and doing all the bento boxes of the perfect meals. So yeah, I mean, you've written a blog about this. So I like really, this is what I'm here for. <laughs> so how do you fix this? Yeah. So it's hard because that parent guilt is no joke. In fact, I was just talking to my director who has two little ones and she was like, oh, you know, today was Disney dress day or whatever it was. And, you know, I we got halfway to school. We forgot the dress. I had to go home, pick up the dress. I get there. And she's like, all I could do was she's a full-time mom. She's in school full-time. She runs my company full-time. So we'll, we'll just start there, right? So this poor woman, she's like, you know, and I walk in and all these other moms have brought the goodie bags and the stickers and the cupcakes and the, and I'm like, yeah, I go, and you feel like you failed, right? She goes, totally. I'm like, yeah, the parent guilt is no joke. Like 
And she's like, I know I didn't. And yet we feel that. I wasn't at my kid's 21st birthday last weekend. Should I be? No. But then I feel like I've failed as a parent because I missed like this milestone birthday, right? So this kind of stuff, it's real and understanding that it's real and we're allowed to feel that, right? And then moving forward from it is really important. That helps with some of that burnout piece. I think giving ourselves permission where based on your socioeconomic ability, right? It's okay to say, I'm going to put baby with a sitter, with a family member, with a friend where baby is safe and I'm going out with my friend for a couple of hours. Even if it's, I'm going to go out with my friend for a walk around the block for 30 minutes and grab a coffee, right? It's okay to take a break. It's okay to have strong boundaries with the kids and say, I love you more than anything. You are the best kids in the entire world. And it is time to go to bed because mommy needs a break. It's easy to say, right? Hard to do. Well, I think like a big thing is I'm pretty loud about this with my friend group because I think that a lot of my friends, y'all know who you are, put too much pressure on basically being that like they're all the time, you know, beck and call, don't want their kids to feel, and I'm not saying just my friends, a lot of moms, because, you know, comparison, the thief of joy, it's always going to be kind of this competition of who's doing it better. You always feel like this one, you know, these other kids are getting more attention than your kids are getting. But I always feel like it's a very important thing to remember that one, it's very recent in human history that we have had this nuclear family unit that where you are expected to be as the mother or the father, the only source of caretaking and attention and stuff to your children. People always say it takes a village. No, it literally did take a village like back in the day. So this is not natural really, but also that ultimately it creates independence for your children to not have this like mommy and daddy are everything. Like, And I want to get everything that I want. And I do get everything that I want all the time. It's almost like the same as putting up boundaries for relationships and friends of like, I'm not your one source of everything. And I agree that permission, I feel like is so important, as you said as well, much easier said than done. But it's, if I could do anything and shake people into, you know, essentially not falling into that guilt trap is that this isn't really the way it has always been. So I think social media also has put enormous pressure on that of like, look at what I'd made for my kids and look at all these decorations they did. And I swear when you brought up that Disney thing, it was so triggering. These dress up days, I'm just like, why does my child even have a uniform because two days of the week are like whatever day, you know, it's this carrot day. We're dressing up. It's like, why do you? Okay. So anyways, I'm gonna get off my high horse about that. But I think that that's a big pressure that a lot of moms feel in particular and not so much dads. You don't think the dads, wait, hold on. You don't think the dads experience like the same do you think it's just different for moms? I don't think that's universal, but I think there are definitely are dads. Like I know personally do know dads. I know some very, very hands-on fathers that go nuts if they're not with their children 24-7 or they feel like they have FOMO that they're going to miss something or they're going to not show up. The judgment among dads is real too. 
I don't know if y'all know, it's very much for my friends who do have children and my brothers and stuff. It is very much when they're at their group events and, you know, the dads are watching each other's behavior as well. And I agree with you. But there's a lot more pressure on the mother for sure, especially amongst other moms, I can imagine. It's still, you know, this kind of old heterosexist gender norm crap where moms do this and dads do that. And I think, like you said, with social media, there's a lot of you know, stereotypes and social norms out there that I don't think where we're at anymore. And so, yeah, I mean, we absolutely see that from dads. I see a lot, especially again, in being in Silicon Valley, where dad isn't necessarily the primary, you know, financial, you know, sometimes it's dual income. And then there's a split of like, okay, well, we're both really high powered, you know, C-suite people. So, who's taking the baby, who's doing this, who's going to soccer game. And so there's a lot of stress, like you said, the fear of missing out. So I think it's probably where people live in the country, what they do for a living and and kind of there's so much more to that. I think parent guilt, it's real. It's almost like the labor division too. So like when it comes down to it, if the mom got more going on, the dad's going to need to or is expected to step it up. And then they go into that same role. It's just like the roles have now started to kind of even out, I think a little bit more. So I agree, Todd, I don't think it's, you know, just moms. It's just more of a, how that works. I do have a question circling back here to burnout. (laughs) Do you believe certain people are like predisposed to burnout? That's such a great question because it really is asking this idea of resiliency, right? What makes somebody resilient? And, you know, there's research on both sides. There's actually good research on both sides that says, yes, if you don't have resiliency or grit, you are more prone to being, you know, having burnout or compassion fatigue, anxiety, so on and so forth. And then there's research on the other side that says, eh, it's, you know, nurture, not necessarily nature, right? Or nature versus nurture kind of an argument. So I think it really is very specific to individuals. I can just talk about me, right? Like my children are now young adults when they were little and it was me and then me trying to take care of them and going back to school and working full-time and being a full-time mom and then doing that on my own. I went through a divorce when they were one and three. And so, and I was very blessed to have a good co-parent. I was still a single parent though. It was rough and I felt burned out a lot And I felt like I didn't have a choice, right? Like I didn't have the quote luxury to be burned out. If I didn't get up and take care of them, nobody was going to, right? And so is that resilient? I don't know. I mean, when I talk to people about that or when I go to therapy, yes, therapists see therapists, you know, and we talk about, oh, look at how you were so resilient and look at all of these things you did. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't have a choice. Well, that's a very interesting narrative because that's actually not true, right? I could have had my parents come and help me or a friend. They could have gone to their dads that day. There's all these things that could have happened. But my narrative is I didn't have a choice. And so I kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, right? And so I think some of it is about our value and how we see ourselves, right? And this idea of, are we open-minded, strong, resilient? Is that how we see ourselves? In which case we're going to keep pushing through until burnout smacks us in the face because we don't catch the signs of like, God, I'm really fucking tired. I am really tired and I need a Because we're like, I can do it. I'm strong. I'm resilient. And so I don't know how helpful that is, right? Where other people will say, 
you know, I'm not resilient at all. And it's like, yeah, but you wake up and you go to work every day. Their internal monologue is, but I'm not resilient. It's like reframing. Like you just have to kind of reframe how you see the situation and be open, I think, to alternatives as opposed to what you just got fixated in your brain of what is the best partner, who we see is the best parent or even worker. Like, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that there's sometimes external expectations, but a lot of it's internal, especially people that are like CEOs or whatever. It's almost like everything's got to be bigger, better. Let's keep going, going, going. And with that kind of house analogy, like just take that and times it by like your life as opposed to just a house. I know the feeling on all the sides. So I think it's it, people, it comes down, I think a little bit to that same permission, like that you're allowed to feel that way, but if you don't make a change about it, then, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah. And small changes are okay, right? We can make what we call micro changes. So if I am not getting enough sleep, can I go to bed 10 minutes earlier? Not three hours, right? Like these little micro changes, right? Can I get outside and take a walk after dinner, even if I take the dogs and the kids and we all walk around the block just so, you know, I can get outside and get some fresh air, right? These little micro changes are what helps for sure. And I think too, this idea of burnout, compassion, fatigue, and resiliency, they're new norms. Like when you talk about sort of the nuclear family, part of that is in the US, there's a cultural explanation for the nuclear family of why we are now the way that we are. And right, there's some historical issues with that, political, economical issues. The same thing comes with burnout, where if you ask people who are probably in their late 70s, you know, and up, that's not a thing. You know, you got up, you went to work, you did, you know, it's kind of like suck it up buttercup. And I'm not saying that that is better by any stretch. It's just as generations go on, as we have more emotional intelligence, we're starting to realize, right, some of the impact of that thinking. And for those of us who were raised in a house where it was like, suck it up and keep going, you keep doing that, right? So is that resilience? What is that? Or is it a bad cycle? Is it a bad cycle? Right. So this idea of micro changes, right? How do we make small changes? Because those small changes stack up and become really big change over time. And it's actually a short amount of time. What we know from research is it takes, you know, four to six weeks to make a behavioral change. And it's really hard to make a major behavioral change because we have to do the same thing over and over and over right, with the same stimuli to do that. But if we make these little changes, we can create big behavioral change over time that doesn't take a lot of time. And it's not a huge ask. Yeah, I was going to say, if somebody's burned out, probably the last thing you want to ask them to do is (laughs) some kind of overhaul of their life, because that's already sending you down a spiral. As a therapist, I think I know what your answer is going to be. But how can one use therapy. Is therapy a good thing to incorporate into your life? You feel like you've reached that. And do you think that medication and things like that are things that can also supplement? Yeah. So I think this has kind of been the theme for today is it really depends on the individual therapy, coaching, Reiki, chiropractic, acupuncture, medication, whatever someone's orientation is holistically 
And I hear a lot of times, oh, that's just a placebo. And I'm like, I don't care. Is it making you feel better and not hurting anybody else? Are you not hurting yourself and you're not hurting anybody else? If that works for you and you want to call your astrologist and that makes you feel better and you feel like you are functional and you are not hurting anybody, like, cool. Like, isn't that what we all want is something to make us feel better, right? So sure, therapy helps because it helps us get out of the patterns of why we get stuck and how we get stuck. And it makes us do a really deep dive, right? Coaching is more solution oriented. What's happening now and how do I get from A to B, right? So coaching helps me move from where I'm stuck now to where I want to go. Addressing it from a body perspective, whether that's acupuncture, more holistic work, a naturopath, medicine, things like that. We know it works. All of these things work. So really it's pick something, right? Usually burnout starts with, like I keep coming back to sleep, right? It usually starts with my sleep patterns start to change. I'm not sleeping, therefore I'm not functioning very well, right? And I'm no longer coping because I'm on a short fuse, whatever that looks like, right? I'm depressed, I'm on a short fuse, I'm whatever, because I'm not getting enough sleep. So try maybe adding a adding a little bit of rest once in the week, right? If that's on a weekend, cool. You know, if that's going to bed a little early, cool. If it's been binge watching your favorite show and not opening up your computer or your phone, cool. Like just try something, even if it's once, right? And see how you feel. I don't actually say, do you feel better or worse? I say, do you feel lighter or heavier. Because sometimes making change is very painful and I don't actually feel better. I don't feel better leaving a toxic relationship. I actually feel worse, right? I know it's better for me, but I don't feel better. So then it's like, do you feel lighter? And most times people will say, I feel so much lighter, even though I'm going through this heartbreak and it hurts, right? My body feels lighter, emotionally feel lighter. I'm sleeping a little bit better, right? Even though I'm grieving. So I look at that. How do you feel in your body? How do you feel in your mind? How do you feel emotionally, you know, lighter or heavier? That's such a great way to look at it. I mean, even just you you breaking that down, like if you leave a toxic relationship, do you feel lighter? And it's like, yes, but you'd probably feel like shit, but, (laughs) but you feel like you're free to like your, the amount of time that you're having to devote to that toxicity is now dramatically reduced. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that aspect of it anymore. And I think almost even getting over that hump of like saying it out loud of like actually saying this is not good for me. And even though you can still grieve and mourn that, it's still at least that one little part is behind you. That thing that you've been building up in your head this whole time, that's like the scariest aspect of it is over. And doing that that practice, right, or the rehearsal. So it's like go in the car if you're contemplating whether or not you should be in a relationship currently, right? You know, go in your car, find a place where you can be completely alone and talk out loud, have the conversation. What does it look like if I leave? What does it look like if I stay? What do I actually want? Like write it down, write it down and then throw it away. Don't put it in your phone. We know just actually take a pen and a piece of paper. And then there is something really cathartic, actually DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, 
has you write stuff down and then rip it up. There's something very cathartic about ripping paper. And I'm so gonna write, write that it down, down right now and then rip it up. But I mean, I actually, I'm going to write it down and actually do it. <laughs> With clients, I joke and I call it my I hate you letter. But one of the homework assignments I give clients is it starts with I hate you because and then you fill in the blank and you write until you have nothing else to say. And I don't care how ridiculous it is. And I wish I could take credit for this, but I learned this in psych school and like, I don't know, the early 2000s, right? And I remember writing this letter to this one person, and I think it was about 10 pages. I know. I know, obsessive. I remember writing in there, I hate you because you can't spell. I hate you because you don't like cheese. And now every time I tell this story, I still laugh, right? That's where it got to this point of being ridiculous until... It was just this complete emotional release, right? That cathartic release of, and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then talking to my therapist about this and handing her the pages and she goes, don't give them to me. And I said, what do you mean? Don't you want to read it? And she goes, no, I want you to rip it up. And I'm like, I can't do that. She's like, why do you need to hold on to this? That's where I was stuck, right? Why do you need to hold on to this? And it's like, ah, got it. I don't. So tear it up. And then just like every single page into like confetti and walking out and not like, like I said, I was emotionally exhausted and so much lighter. And it was like, oh, and that's not a letter that I would have given that person. That would have made me feel worse. It was purely for me, right? So it sounds silly, but it works. And don't leave that stuff out, (laughs) Shred it, get rid of it, flush it down the toilet, don't care. It could cause more problems if you leave it. It's going to be like, oh no, I can't spell, I promise. (laughs) I know, I really do like. Okay, so we have obviously covered a lot about burnout, but we did want to highlight that you help others with all other kinds of issues, including PTSD, CPTSD, and eating disorders. What are some of your other areas of expertise? And can you tell us again how people can reach out to you and or receive assistance for your practice uh, for these issues? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, so I have an amazing team. We are trauma-informed, trauma-focused, but we work with most mental health issues that that people have and lifespan issues. So everything from anxiety, depression, bipolar, eating disorders, trauma, right, to loss of job, recareering. For me, empty nesting, that's been a really, really fun one in my life lately. We run the gamut and I've got a great team. And so you can find, it's my name. I know you're going to drop it in the show notes, but it's joellerabelmelitis.com. Or if you follow our socials, we have a lot of videos and skills. Every day we put up at least two different skills. And thank you so much for reposting. Oh my gosh. I love them so much because they're just these perfect little, like, it's almost like a check. I'm, I'm obsessed with checklists. So the, it, this is like my, if there was a love language for therapy, this is how it would be. But it's like the perfect little, like, are you feeling burnout right now? Are you feeling depressed right now? Here are things that you can do. And it's very palatable. It's very easy. Like you said, the micro changes. I like, I think that's a huge thing that I'm going to take away from this is that it doesn't have to be an overhaul of your life that just to deal with these specific things. And yeah, I just love them. So I actually 
I check out your page every day. Everybody should go check it out. And also you have this amazing, you know, all these things that are coming out that y'all are now doing calendars and all of that. Like we talked about it last time. Look at that. Let, let's hear so more. The, yeah. This is the test model. You can see it says not for resale. We just got it. This is our basically self-love workbook. And it is all of the stuff that you like on Instagram. I'll just show you page progressive relaxation. So it's this workbook. And the idea is that it's motivational skills that you can do to increase self-love in 31 days. We have a whole series. We're doing worry, burnout, coaching, anxiety, you name it. So this is the first one, but it is meant to be five to 15 minutes a day and you do it for 31 days. And we hope based on the research that you'll see an improved increase in your self-esteem. So you can find that on our website. It's coming out soon, probably, I, I think, another four weeks. It's like we're just finishing the final tests. I'm super excited. And it's at Official Joel Trauma Therapy is our handle. And You can do all of this remotely over Zoom too. You and your team can, if someone really wants to chat with you guys, you can do a Zoom session as well. Yeah. In fact, believe it or not, we're still mostly remote. So we had some clients come back in person. Our offices are in Mountain View, California, our physical office, but we have remote offices all throughout the country. And I still am am seeing clients and doing coaching. So people are interested in talking with me specifically. I train a lot of other therapists. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I think I'm super pumped for that workbook. I'm going to be all over that. I'll mark that in my Joelle calendar, the self-love calendar, and then come back. Yes. I would love that. Please send me one. Oh my gosh. And I will, will. and maybe I will update everybody as I go through this journey of self-love because I know it's just like 15 minutes a day. People spend far more than that just scrolling through nonsense on Instagram. So it's kind of that whole, like the payoff thing, the balance, what, what's, what's really going to, at the end of the day, going to give you more. And I think this, that definitely seems worth it to me, but you know, we could go on forever and ever as we know, and has been shown multiple times now, but as you know, we like to do a question of the day at the end, our little tradition. So we have um, one today, and I just kind of wanted it to be a little bit like totally unrelated. But if you could have any superpower, what would it be, Joelle? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I think that's also in the workbook, too. I should know the answer to this question. <laughs> that's how you figure it out is after 31 days, you right? know what your superpower is going to be. I know what my superpower is. If I could have any superpower, what would it be? That is such a good question. I think for me, it would be, speaking of resilience, I think my superpower would be resilience where I could do the work that I love doing and not necessarily take it home with me all the time or not feel like I'm burned out or <laughs> not take everything so personally. Circle. All the things. No, I think that that's a really good answer though, because I think we've learned just from this podcast and we don't do this nearly as much as you do, but it is easy to kind of absorb other people's trauma. And we don't even know it sometimes in the moment. It's like later we're like, oh my God, that was so heavy. Like I can't like, wow, we need now to go to therapy to deal with talking to people about the therapy. So I can't imagine doing it 
day in and day out. And you clearly are doing, you're killing it, but definitely don't want you to reach any kind of point of burnout because we need you. So I think that's a great answer. But anyways, yeah, we are just so happy to have had you on. We want you to come back. We want to get updates about the book, about everything. We'll have all the links to all the things. And again, we just can't thank you enough for Such coming Such a pleasure. On. And we oh, hope you thanks. have. Thanks for having me. All right. What did you think? She's so great. She's so smart and so articulate. And so I feel like she gives practical therapy, like things that I I can see myself actually doing, which is probably why she wrote the self-help book that's coming out or self-love book, I should say. We were just talking off air, you know, like you brought up the, the micro changes was really impactful. I told her when we got off air, like guilt, shame and blame, that trifecta was really huge for me. And then I realized that you can probably prevent burnout if you recognize that it's starting. And I just never thought that that was even an option to go, oh, wait a minute, I can go for a walk, you know, and that I hate you. Oh my God, it's my favorite thing. I really like, I was like, uh, yeah, off air, we were talking about it. And she was saying that even in like when she was in school, that they actually had to write 10 of them. And it wasn't like a necessarily somebody that you really in that moment hated, but it was like more of a reflection of yourself of like looking at what you had come up with to recognize where maybe you were putting your own expectations or whatever on other people. But I agree. The practical aspects are what I love so much about her because it's, you know, it's one thing to sit here and just talk in circles, which we love to do anyways, but (laughs) just say like, you know, you can't give him an empty cup, but like for real, here's how you fill your cup back up. And this is why you're thinking this way. And this is, here is an idea of something that will, and that's why I love her Instagram and why I share so much of it because it's practical advice. It's not just like a quote. And she talked a lot about nothing that I can relate to because I'm not a parent, but the parental guilt. It is a real thing that, you know, men and women both alike do suffer from it. And I can imagine that if you can't be somewhere for your child or you yourself just need a break, I need to go and I need to get out of the house. I need to go see a friend or I need to go hang with my mother for an hour. I need to go hang with my father, whatever, whatever, a friend that you don't need to feel guilty if you need a break from your kids. Because sometimes you need a break from your kids, but you also need a break from your spouse, your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a best friend, whatever it is. You just might need a break. It doesn't mean that they, you don't love them, or, but everybody can drive everybody crazy. Yeah, I really love that she said you know, and I could go on about the parent thing forever. I do first want to thank you for bringing up the fact that it isn't just moms. I definitely wholeheartedly believe the same thing can happen with dads. It's just traditionally that's kind of been the way it is. But no, I don't think it's a a singularly a mom thing. But I love that she brought up the fact that the best way to kind of prevent it is to have a multifaceted life, to not put all of your eggs in one basket and say, okay, I need my job to make me happy or I need my spouse to make me happy. It's like every part of your life has its own little part to play. 
and in a way, take a break from that other thing. Because then that takes the pressure off of not only those people you have a relationship with, like for them too, but also for yourself to take a, like a breather. And then you appreciate it more, you know, because it's not all the time. Exactly. Burnout. I think that everyone listening to this podcast has probably experienced it at one point or the other, especially if you're a millennial, <laughs> I think at this age. It's like our expectations of what we're supposed to be doing is absurd. It's insane. I think our generation were, like she said, we were just of the generation that's just like, get over it. Like, shut your mouth and get on with it. And But now, also be amazing at it, everything that you do at the same time. Nail it, kill it, and don't, you know, especially in the South, don't disappoint the family. Don't make the family look bad. Oh, yeah. And be perfect. And, you know, and don't cry about it. There's no crying in baseball. It's just, it's all around. There's too many. It's too many things. We all love a league of their own I know. I had to make a league of their own reference anytime I can. But no, I think overall it was a very important message, especially for us, because, you know, as a lot of people, I probably have realized that we, we had to take a little break for a little bit because there was a little bit of burnout going on. Not just like with this, but with everything. When we were talking about trauma, yeah, it was our lives, but it was also just talking about trauma and people that we interviewed. I mean, I mean, look at Frank Meek. We interviewed him. He was, you know, former head of the neo-Nazis, like talking about his trauma. I mean, we needed days yeah. after that episode. And you hung out with him and all that. I did. It was too much, but I'm glad that we recognized that we needed a break and now we're going to come back. You know, this season two is already proving to be very rewarding and cathartic and I think very uplifting. And speaking of that, if you, question of the day, if you could have any superpower, Laura, what would it be? Can my answer be all of them? The superpower would be to have all the superpowers. No, I'm just kidding. I think it would, first of all, I really liked her answer because it wasn't like a typical you know, I'd be invisible kind of answer. So I'm going to try to kind of go off of that too, of if I had any superpower, it would be to almost know other people's, not thoughts, because I don't want to hear everything, what you're thinking, but to know how other people receive messages and love just like without having to dig for it. And to like, I mean, I would say just how to make everybody happy, but you know, that's kind of just like the best way to do things, like to get a message across, to get something accomplished. And obviously I would love to be able to fly, but anybody would love to be able to fly, I think. There are some drugs in West Hollywood that you could Ooh, really enjoy that. Uh, yes. <laughs> is this literal or is this, yeah, we don't have to literal nail flying it down or... to that. So, you know, if I had one that was like more emotional, it would be to know everybody's love language. And the other one would be to fly, whether that's on drugs or just in space. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? <laughs> Honestly, my superpower would be like, like to never get symptoms of being sick. So like, I'm just going to be real with all y'all listening. I hate with a passion. I hate throwing up and I hate diarrhea. Like diarrhea for me is the worst situation ever created on man. I don't know why God, the universe was like, you know what we're going to do? If something doesn't agree with your stomach, we're going to have you on the toilet well, for we gotta hours. Get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. How else are you going to, I mean, it's going to ooze out of your skin. Like, I just, no, but throwing up literally is like, I will do everything it's the worst. in my power to avoid throwing up. 
unless it is like coming out projectile. It's the, sorry, every, everybody listening to this is probably like disgusting, Todd, but you know what? You all feel it too. I know all of you don't want to, you know, be around that porcelain circle. Every, <laughs> it is the worst. You know, we don't want to. It's the worst. And you just feel like it's never going to oh, end, God. especially if you have the dry I've, heaves. Like, I can tell you there's that saying, like, there are no atheists in foxholes. Like, you know, but I think there are no atheists that are vomiting over and over. If there's any time you are praying to God is when you are on a toilet or puking into a toilet. That is when you are now one with God. You are praying to him about everything. I will change my whole life if you make this stop. Exactly. Exactly. So that would definitely be my superpower because you don't, I just hate that feeling. I hate being sick. Yeah. I think that's a really good answer. I agree with you. That is, I mean. Sorry, everybody for the visual. Yeah, you don't have to visualize it, but you know what we're talking about. Don't act like you are above this. That is the definition of hashtag turn the page yes, on trauma. right? <laughs> well, you know, there are medications out there. I think that a lot of people don't realize you don't have to suffer in silence. There are things you can take to help you with this stuff. I couldn't agree more. And I also, how am I going to fly everywhere if I'm throwing up the whole time? So I want all those things. But per usual, this was lovely. Left with a lot of good lessons. And Joelle, thank you so much for coming back on. We just adore you. You're the best. We love it. Thank you. And, you know, until next time.